Hello and welcome. This is the Iron Kenya podcast brought to you by the Interregional Economic Network, Iron Kenya. I'm your host, Hilary Enekea, and this is the Thought Leaders, a program where we talk about economic, social, political issues, as well as global current affairs. And um, if you listened to the last podcast, we talked about, one of the issues we talked about was COVID-19. So this week, we're going to talk about COVID-19. But then again, from a wider perspective, the, the implications of COVID-19, that is. And so today, our topic is uh, the future of Africa in the post-COVID-19 world. The future of Africa in the post-COVID-19 world. Help me dissect this subject. With me is Mr. Nashon Nadero. I'll uh, let him introduce himself. Then uh, we can carry on. Welcome, sir. Uh, thank you for welcoming me. Um, Nelson Adero, mm-hmm. I'm a lecturer in the Department of Mining and Mineral Processing Engineering at Taita Taveta University, and I'm happy to be here. Thank you. Yes, that was uh, Mr. National Adero with uh, me in the studio today. And uh, yeah, I've been trying to get a hold of him for some time now, and I'm glad I could manage to get him here today. And so without wasting time, I want to jump right into it. You know, we're talking about the future of Africa in the post-COVID-19 world. And, uh, you know, you might be asking yourself, and this is a question I want to pose, the first question I want to pose to Mr. National. You know, we are talking about the future of Africa in the post-COVID-19 world. So, COVID-19 is still here. You know, the Indian COVID-19 variant was recently uh, confirmed in Kenya, as well as other a few other African countries. Why is it vital, you know, to start the conversation on the future of Africa in the post-COVID-19 world, uh, Mr. Nash? Uh, thank you. I know that phrase uh, post-COVID-19 world will generate a lot of curiosity and yes. interest, mm-hmm. uh, but the best time to prepare for the future uh, is yesterday. The second <laughs> best time is today. Mm-hmm. So we have seen the pandemics before mm-hmm. and they have come and gone. Yes. It is out of this human inspiration and hope that we believe that COVID-19 will also be uh, a gone story in the future. Mm-hmm. We need to prepare for that future now. Yes. That is why we are generating this debate mm-hmm. on how best we need to prepare for COVID-19 and the world after COVID-19, the lessons we can gather from this, and the lessons are mainly focused on disaster governance. Mm-hmm. And this is particularly so for Africa, mm-hmm. for Kenya, East Africa. Yes. We just uh, saw that COVID-19 closely followed uh, the locust invasion. So these are the, the disasters that we need to prepare for. COVID-19 is giving us very compelling lesson, lessons uh-huh. on how to manage disaster yeah. and the best way of managing these disasters is through predictive. We have to anticipate uh-huh. solutions for the future. So predictive management is even better than preventive management. So predictive management. Predictive, not even preventive. You know, so like 19, COVID-19 could be used as a measure for anything else that might come thereafter? Yes, oh. exactly. And uh, it is a pity that in Kenya, in Africa, mm-hmm. we have been more, we have been better known for reactionary management. That means immediately when, okay, when yeah. it's already happening, we react. We react. Now we need to have early warning systems in place mm-hmm. and make the best use of our scholars and researchers, think tanks, yes. to prepare adequately in an anticipatory manner mm-hmm. so that we can forestall the disasters similar to COVID-19, the COVID-19 global pandemic. And that's uh, why you're talking about post-COVID-19 world. 
Uh-huh. And when we talk about, you know, the preparedness, preparedness you're talking about, you know, being ready for the unforeseen future. Do you think Western countries and uh, Americas maybe were well prepared for COVID-19 in comparison to Africa? Or this was totally different and unlike, you know, normally the Western world is always prepared. So do you think, you know, just out of context, this has come clearly out of nowhere. So what, what is your take on the same? Do you think, you know, the Western countries were found off guard the same way Kenya, not Kenya, Africa is found off guard most of the time with these pandemics, Ebola, you know, and what have you? Of course, we can say in terms of uh, the health systems uh, and social safety nets, yes. uh, these other countries, the advanced economies, were better prepared. Mm-hmm. But there are other variables such as demographics. There are also other variables such as uh, the testing and tracing capacity. Yes. Uh, this raises the question are the numbers that we have reported in Africa all that there is? Mm-hmm. Or is it? Very small sample, which is reflecting our limitations in sampling and testing and tracing capacity. Yeah, yeah. For example, uh, we are going to talk later about uh, the book project mm-hmm. and uh, lessons that we call seven T's coming out of this experience in Africa. Mm-hmm. One is timing. How well are we timing our responses? Our responses. And if you look at the timing. Africa has not performed as well as these advanced economies in terms of timing of responses. Okay. And this timing of responses must be informed by data and knowledge. Uh-huh. And better still what we call models, scientific models for calibrating policy and strategic response. We also have testing. Uh-huh. And you know our testing capacity is still limited. Yeah, yeah. We also have tracing. We need to trace. And then we have transdisciplinary approach. Which is which is having uh, the participation of many disciplines, many experts, yes. experts from many disciplines mm-hmm. coming together because disaster is multidimensional. You can't mm-hmm. say it is for health experts alone to address. Yes. We also need psychologists, we need uh, uh, historians of science mm-hmm. in our task forces for disaster management. Okay. So it is not a purely scientific affair. We need other professionals on board, hence that transdisciplinary approach, which is also key disaster governance. Okay, okay. But we also need training. Mm-hmm. We need to train adequate human capital. And that is another a major difference between uh, the preparedness of Africa or of Kenya yeah. and these other economies we are talking of. They might have been battered more by the pandemic, yeah. but don't fail to link that to their testing capacity, mm-hmm. the timeliness of their responses, yeah. and the human capital that they have to uh, counter the threats of the pandemic. Okay. So those T's are very important. Seven T's. Seven T's. 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 Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Thank you. Thank you. Um, you've already jumped into the book, so without holding you back any further, you know, I'll want to also uh, jump right into it. So, you know, I understand you co-edited uh, this, uh, it's a peer-reviewed publication, right? Yes. And uh, it's called The Future of Africa in the Post-COVID-19 World. Yes. And um, so, you know, my question is uh, basically, briefly, yeah, just briefly, it's it's, uh, it's, it's comprehensive. Huh? So briefly, what is this book all about? This book, uh, the idea 
was conceived way back even before COVID. Mm-hmm. And we had this idea with Iron Kenya. How could we uh, deliver on university industry collaboration? Mm-hmm. It's one thing to talk about university industry collaboration yeah. and then blame the gaps. But it's another thing to do something. Mm-hmm. So in our own small way, at Taitavata University, I had this idea that we can bring in knowledge from the university. Yeah. And then IREN will bring in its rich network to sponsor events that would lead to the publication of a book yeah, through yeah. Uh, Top Leaders Forum. Mm-hmm. So when COVID came, we decided to have a book on COVID. Mm-hmm. So we had uh, Top Leaders Forum in August uh, 2020, mm-hmm. and the authors were invited to present their ideas on how to address uh, COVID-19 mm-hmm. and the lessons from COVID-19, how can we immortalize the le- lessons in a book so that future generations can also read about it and what Africa needs to do in order to be better prepared for similar disasters. So we came up with this idea and um, invited authors. Mm-hmm. Finally, we shortlisted 14 authors. 14 authors. So the book has been authored by 14 authors yeah, who yeah. are Africans, mm-hmm. but drawn from all parts of the world because we have the academic diaspora, mm-hmm. we have African writers living in Canada, living uh, in Europe. Yes. So these 14 authors, uh, whose chapters after Parapia review were accepted, uh, help us to come up with this edited book, mm-hmm. a 250 page book yes. with six main sections. Six main sections, yes. Yes, so the six main, main sections. I would also like to acknowledge at this point uh, the work of uh, reviewers mm-hmm. who are drawn mainly from Kenyan universities yeah. and the universities that uh, provided this leadership in terms of reviewers of the papers uh, were at Tabeta University, the one I come from. Mm-hmm. We also had a reviewer from Jomo Kenyatta University of Agriculture and Technology, yeah. from University of Embu, and we had uh, reviewers from our own think tanks, policy think tanks, basically KIPRA. Mm-hmm. So the six sections are uh, section one deals with COVID and what we can learn from Scientific modeling and research mm-hmm. will form the science policy interface. COVID is calling upon us. Leaders, political leaders, to ensure that scientists, researchers, think tanks are part of the advisory panel. Okay. And modeling has become a key feature mm-hmm. in responding to COVID and calibrating policy and strategic measures such as containment. For example, uh, if you read the book, you realize uh, the projections that were coming from mathematical models were quite useful, predicting uh, the numbers within 10% error margin, and that is critical to policy calibration and strategic response. We also have a, a section on youth. So, so that is section one, yeah? That is section one. Okay. So the second section uh, deals with issues of youth. Mm-hmm. Unemployment and skills development. Mm-hmm. So, what are the lessons from COVID nineteen in terms of uh, 
the new era of teaching, mm-hmm. breaking the classroom walls as one author has referred to it. Yeah. Because now we have realized even at university, mm-hmm. learning has to go virtual. Mm-hmm. And at best, blended learning or hybrid mode. So there should be a greater uptake of digital technologies in order to make learning borderless. And you, in terms of skills, the employability skills, what are the gaps? And what do instructors, teachers, lecturers need to focus more on in order to ensure that we reduce youth unemployment problem in Africa by skilling our youth to, the, to graduate with market-ready skills and hence avoid this scenario I call drops of skills drops in of, of academic qualifications. That is what is ailing our education system. You have just drops of skills Which in, is a, of academic a, a, in a layman's language. In a layman's language, this is, uh, we have paper qualifications, mm-hmm. but the work-ready skills that we need from these graduates are lacking. So you find that graduates need to be retrained at workplace. And we let, let around touch on one of the key findings from a recent survey in Kenya, yeah, how many graduates are confident that they have work-ready skills upon graduating from our colleges. Mm-hmm. The third section is on geopolitics and geoeconomics. Uh-huh. And simply put, uh, COVID is a global pandemic, yes. uh, COVID-19. And how has it shaped uh, the rules and logic of production and commerce globally? What are the implications for geopolitics, for governance across regions? If you look at Africa, the regional blocks we have, and the initiatives we have, such as the African Continental Free Trade Area. So there are authors uh, drawn from uh, Africa who have touched on this section of geopolitics and geoeconomics. Then uh, we have a section of multilateralism. That is section four, yeah? That is section four. Mm-hmm. So under multilateralism, uh, we have the influence of China, we have the lessons on the need to have a collaborative approach to disaster governance. No one country can do it alone. So it is a critique of inward-looking protectionism, and we need to lean more towards uh, partnerships, multilateral arrangements, and that is one area where uh, some of the authors of based Africa in terms of the African Union's uh, strong role in ensuring that we deliver mm-hmm. on a multilateral approach to COVID-19 management. Then the fifth section addresses food security mm-hmm. and environmental sustainability. With COVID-19, uh, the food supply and food safety and issues of food security came to the fore, and uh, also issues of environmental sustainability, mm-hmm. climate change, and environmental conservation, mm-hmm. including forest management, because forests are a key part of our biocapacity that we need to conserve in order to enjoy the services of the ecosystem or ecosystem services. Yeah, yeah. So under this section, uh, climate change has been addressed. Climate change? Uh, yeah, because uh, the, the 
restrictions to movements that followed uh, COVID-19 yeah. as part of policy response in various countries led to a reduction in uh, carbon emissions because you realize, you can remember, we closed our airspace. Yeah. Uh, there was a reduction in the use of vehicles for transport. And that, from scientific measurement, led to a reduction in the amount of carbon dioxide in the atmosphere, but it is just a temporary reduction. Mm-hmm. So, policymakers, in terms of climate change governance, what lessons can we realize from this, and can we change our culture to reduce emission? Because we realize that even with the closure of airspace, even with the reduction of motorized transport, yeah. still we could work from home. That is what uh, has been Christian Remotopia working uh, remotely. Remotely, yeah. Remotely. And even conference, conferences mm-hmm. have gone virtual. Now there's giving academics an opportunity to participate in many conferences globally without the need for visa and uh, burning fuel through air transport. Yeah. You travel all the way from Kenya to China to Australia. You can still deliver on your scholarship missions uh, virtually. And then the last section. Uh, if I could just. Uh, yes. Uh, if you could just uh, touch on whatever you've been talking about, mm-hmm. you know, especially with the uh, carbon emission, you know, if people, people have been working from home, so less traffic, you know, less uh, fuel on the road, less travel by air and what have you, in layman's language, has this opened the eyes of us as Africans and, you know, in, a, in, a, in the sense that you tell ourselves, say, we have, we've always said carbon emission is a hard, uh, you know, approach to take. Mm-hmm. But uh, with uh, whatever has happened in the last year, maybe 2020, where people have been working from home, it shows the possibility of... Yes, it, it does show the possibility of that. Mm-hmm. So it also goes on to prove that there's a need for a deliberate culture change. Yeah. Uh, because it has been said necessity is the mother of invention. Mm-hmm. And now we are seeing that there are ready opportunities for flexible working modes. And even before COVID, there are organizations that were allowing workers to have this flexible working mode. Mm-hmm. But again, the challenge is uh, we should come up with models that would ensure that working from home that doesn't compromise the quality of work. And even when you are working at home, you don't compensate for the carbon emissions mm-hmm. uh, that you would have uh, uh, incurred by traveling, yes. by over being irresponsible at home in terms of using energy and other products that are uh, encouraging emission. Okay. So we need to embrace the green growth part. We need to raise more awareness, but it's a good thing to realize that we can work from home and we can deliver lectures online. Mm-hmm. So what we need more of is to ensure that we have better connectivity. Uh, during uh, the COVID-19 uh, challenges, especially in the year 2020, mm-hmm. I conducted uh, a nationwide study, yeah. which was also supported by Google. Mm-hmm. Uh, from the data on the movements, community uh, movement patterns uh, during the tough restriction of movement period, you can talk of uh, from April all the way to June, mm-hmm. only 14 counties out of the 47 counties in Kenya would return enough signals to enable the satellite-based monitoring of movements to take place. Mm-hmm. So that is also a proxy measure that even in Kenya, 
If you can talk of only 14 out of the 47, of 47. then you are talking of challenges in digital connectivity. And that is why at university, we have been facing challenges in online learning when students are at home in their home counties. Yeah. There are problems of connectivity, and apart from connectivity, also of the adequate infrastructure that would enable that connectivity, including the gadgets that they need to have to sustain the two-hour lectures and have more than one lecture in a day. So it is a strong policy message that the future is digital, and if we have to talk of e-learning to be effective, then the government must step in to elevate the technology infrastructure we need for that. And the training that needs to go with that so that instructors can also be up to date in terms of the tools to use for this new dispensation. Okay, okay, sir. Thank you. Thank you for that clarification. My key takeaway point is deliber- deliberate culture change. Deliberate exactly. culture change. Okay, you can touch on uh, then the next point, uh, probably the last one, I guess. Yeah, the last section of the book is on COVID-19 opinions. Mm-hmm. And uh, this is because we had authors who submitted papers yeah. that could not be classified under any of the five sections before, mm-hmm. but were cross-cutting and important. Important as thought leadership pieces mm-hmm. that were very well informed. So we had that section on COVID-19 opinions, and if you uh, grab the book, you'll be able to uh, read about their free thoughts that are well-informed, and especially what Africa needs to do in order to respond to similar disruptions and disasters. And allow me to end by saying that uh, uh, if we are to summarize the character of COVID-19, we have so many Ds. a series of alterations uh, explaining all characters in COVID-19. We are saying it has been disruptive. This disruptive. It has been distancing. Distancing. It has been destructive. Destructive. And um, it has been... Uh, uh, we have talked of... It has also been destructive mm-hmm. with the DI. Yeah, so we can go over them again. Uh-huh. We can say it has been disruptive, okay. it has been distancing, it has been destructive with E uh-huh. and destructive with I. Yeah, yes, okay. So that is the U with the that is a summary of the book, basically. That is a summary when you talk of opinions on how we can um, characterize COVID 19. Uh-huh. Uh, those four days yeah. explain very well uh, what COVID-19 has been to us and the lessons Africa should gather from this because it has disrupted our culture, our norms as it were. Mm-hmm. It has also been disrupting BI. Yeah. You see there are many things we wanted to do, we hadn't planned but we had to change our plans but it has also been destructive with DE. With DE. We have lost lives mm-hmm. and uh, many of us, more of relatives or friends, have lost their lives to COVID. Yes. And it has been distancing. We are social people, mm-hmm. like coming together. But now, distancing is the new normal. Yeah. Okay, okay. So, so uh, maybe in a, in a in summary, yeah? yes. okay, not in summary, closing remarks, because in summary, I think you've given a comprehensive summary of the book uh, in a way that's. Uh, 
anybody who has not looked at the book can get an idea of what the book is all about. So maybe close any closing remarks, you know, as as uh, we wind this up, maybe. So closing remarks, I'm grateful to uh, Iron Kenya for seeing this project to the end mm-hmm. because this is a project we have to deliver on under tight time schedules. Uh, I also ap- appreciate the work of the reviewers who volunteered their precious time mm-hmm. and the authors drawn from all over Africa. The 14 authors who submitted their work and were patient enough to address the reviewer comments and give us the final output. So the book will be launched uh, soon. And what I urge uh, Kenyans and readers from all over Africa is to grab a copy of the book and ensure that we can carry this debate forward and implement the lessons thereof. And there are good lessons for policymakers and key decision makers on how we need to respond to disasters, to govern disasters. Not reactive, but preventive and at best predictive. Okay. So yeah, there you have it. So this book, uh, The Future of Africa in the, co- in the Post-COVID-19 World, The Future of Africa in the Post-COVID-19 World, cautions Africa against mistaking her, her relative escape from the worst hit by the pandemic for a final victory. You know, Africa has not been hit as much as it was expected, you know, considering Africa's infrastructure and history with handling these kinds of pandemic. So this book cautions Africa against, uh, you know, taking these statistics as a, as a, as a final victory. Therefore, a growing challenge therefore remains in building institutions and systems that can assure adaptive resilience to similar emergencies and disasters, which are bound to be more frequent in a connected world experiencing increasing pressures from human activities, urbanization, and population growth. So, uh, whatever we've been talking about is basically what is in this book. And uh, I'd urge you, you know, as a thought leader, as a concerned citizen, a concerned uh, member of the African continent, I don't know if the member is a, is a correct word for it, to, you know, get a copy of this book because, uh, the insights or rather the kind of information therein is eye opening. Things that you'd not have thought about, you know, on a, on a, on a normal day because they have brought together the thoughts of, uh, several uh, thought leaders from around, uh, Africa. You know, to get a copy of this book, uh, you can reach out to Esperance Chisoli. Uh, she's the Iron Communications and Digital Manager. Her contact number is 0702-636-591. 0702-636-591. You could WhatsApp her or, or uh, instead, there's also an email. So it is Chisoli at ironkenya.com. So there's a phone number, there's an email. You could use either, whatever works for you. The phone number one more time zero seven zero two six three six five nine one five nine one, and then the email is chesoli at ironkenya.com. Chesoli is C H E S O L I at ironkenya.com. Iron is I R E N. So yeah, thank you sir for coming. Thank you for your contributions. Uh, I feel like I've read the whole book and uh, I have not. <laughs> so I hope you are intrigued. I hope. Uh, you are you know, you're now looking forward to seeing what is in the book because uh, I'll be taking time as well to take a closer look at the book 
and uh, you know the fourth industrial revolution is is is, is coming is almost here with us so preparedness should be our number one priority as africa so thank you for listening that was the thought leaders yeah that will be it for today see you again next time same time same place uh, goodbye